Which please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at Arco, Idaho, and Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. The title of the series we're doing in connection with Advent is All I Want for Christmas. And what we're doing each week is looking at things that tend to happen to us during Christmas and praying that God's supernatural replacement of other things that we talk about at Advent and the Advent candles will take place within our lives. So last week, we talked about the discontentment that sometimes we have at Christmas, and we want to replace that with God's joy. And now today, we're going to talk about the stress that on rare occasion comes with Christmas and the peace, God's supernatural peace, that he wants to replace the stress and the chaos of the seasons. Now, one of the major sources, I think, of stress throughout the year, uh, but particularly at Christmas, is dealing with expectations during the holidays. Dealing with expectations throughout the year is a struggle, and we want to talk about that as it applies to the whole year, but particularly at the Christmas season. We're going to look at seven principles from the life of Jesus on how to deal with expectations. You know, that's the the amazing thing about Jesus, is he had this pacing through his life. You never sense, even though Jesus, if you look at him just even not as our Savior, but as a secular figure from history, in a thousand days he produced the greatest movement, the fastest growing, the most pervasive, most widespread globally in all of human history. He set that up and let it run and let it launch in just a thousand days. And yet you never see Jesus saying, oh my goodness, we're late for the next appointment. Uh, Oh, look at his watch or look at his sundial. Look, guys, we're behind on the sundial. Let's uh, get to the next thing and the next thing. You never sense that from Jesus. There's this pacing that he has throughout his life. Uh, How how did he do that? What are the principles from his life that we uh, can learn from? Now, This thing we talked about last week about comparison to other people, I want to talk about that a little bit more. And you've heard me say this a hundred times. It's one of my favorite lines. Nobody can beat you at being you. There's only been one you ever created in the history of the universe. And one assignment made just for you. You made just for that assignment. And you're the only one that can fulfill it. And nobody can beat you at being you. It's when you try to live somebody else's life That's when we get stressed out by the expectations of others and even our own internal expectations. The worst tragedy is to live the life of other people's expectations rather than God's expectations. That's the worst tragedy. Live somebody else's life rather than the life God intended for you. Now, in order to live that life, you're going to spend your life disappointing other people. You're going to disappoint them. They're going to have expectations of you that you let them down. You disappoint them. You're going to have expectations of yourself. In order to live according to God's expectations, you will spend your life disappointing yourself and other people. One of my favorite definitions of leadership goes like this. Leadership is disappointing the people you lead at a rate they can absorb. Isn't that a great line? Leadership is is disappointing the people that you lead at a rate they can absorb. Now, any of you in leadership at work or in business or anywhere, you know that you're always, as a leader, trying to take people to a preferred future. This is where we are, and this is where we need to get. And yet, we naturally, as human beings, we like to stay where we are. We like our comfort zone. And so in order to get people to a preferred future, uh, a leader will always be disappointing the people that he or she leads, but at a rate, hopefully, that they can absorb. And, And so the same thing is true in your individual life. If you want to live the life according to God's expectations rather than the expectations of others, you will always be disappointing the people around you. 
And just, just determine that. Just know you're going to disappoint others, but you want to make your divine appointment with God's plan for your life. And so you disappoint others. Sometimes you even disappoint yourself. Now, how do we do that? Identification. Know who you are. Jesus spent his life disappointing people. Jesus spent his life in ministry disappointing people. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? Know who you are, identification. He says in John 8, verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from. I know where I came from. So much of stress is living somebody else's life. No wonder we're stressed out. Because we're not living the life God called us to live, but somebody else's life. And if we don't decide what God's priorities are within our life, somebody else is going to decide it for us. Somebody else was going to pressure us with their expectations, and we're going to live the life that they expect us to live rather than the life that God expects us to live. Uh, If we don't decide, somebody else is going to decide that for us. And the same thing was true with Jesus. Um, The people wanted him to be a political leader. He says, I'm not a political leader. And so he disappointed the crowds. Uh, the zealots wanted him to be a military leader, throw off the oppression of Rome. Jesus said, I'm not going to be a military leader. And so he disappointed the zealots. Uh, the Pharisees wanted him to be a religious leader. Jesus said, I'm not a religious leader. And so he disappointed uh, the Pharisees. He said no to being a military leader, no to being a political leader, no to being a religious leader, so that he could say yes to being our Savior. And aren't you glad that he did? Anybody want to say amen to that? So glad. I love that one phrase in Scripture. I think it's in Luke, where Luke says, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And in the original Greek, it carries with the idea of like, set your face like flint towards Jerusalem. He had an appointment with the cross. He had an appointment, a divine appointment, that was the one thing the Father had asked him to do, to live a sinless life and then to die on the cross, rise again from the grave. And and the Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the zealots said, hey, over here, lead us in a military campaign. He said, he set his face towards Jerusalem. The people said, be a political leader. Be our, be the head of the nation of Israel. He said, I'm not a political leader. Set his face towards Jerusalem. The Pharisees said, be a religious leader. Promote the law. Teach us legalism. He said, no, no. Set his face towards Jerusalem. And we need to do the same thing as well. Uh, like Jesus, uh, we need to be purpose-driven rather than peer-driven. We need to say, Jesus, I'm going to set my face towards the thing that you have called me to do, not the expectations of others and not my, even my own internal expectations. Uh, number one, identification, know who you are. Number two, dedication, know whom you're trying to please. A story's told, um, I can't remember the name of the president that it was, but a president had a new ambassador coming into the Oval Office. He had a globe there. And he said to his new ambassador, he said, show me on the globe Uh, your country. And so the ambassador went over and showed him his country that he was assigned to as an ambassador. And the president said, no, no, no. He said, your country is the United States of America. And wherever we send you as an ambassador, never forget that it is the interest of the United States of America that you represent as an ambassador. That's what you're listening to, not the voices that are around you in that country to which you're sent. And the same thing is true of Jesus. That, that he was citizen of heaven. He had the Father's assignment. And that's what he had to listen to, not the voices around him. The same thing is true for us. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. 
And so we don't listen to all the voices around us. We listen as a citizen of heaven to the commands from headquarters, the values of headquarters, the assignment from headquarters, and that headquarters is in heaven. We're a citizen, an ambassador of heaven. That's who we're trying to please, God and God alone. Uh, John 5, verse 30, Jesus said, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus didn't come to please Mary and Joseph. He didn't come to please the crowds, uh, the people. Uh, He didn't come to please the Pharisees or his disciples. He didn't even come to please himself. He came to please his heavenly Father. And if we're not sure about this, and if we're not sure who it is that we're living uh, to please, it makes us vulnerable to two things. Number one is comparison that we talked about last Sunday, and criticism. So when people criticize us, we bend to their expectations rather than knowing that we are living for an audience of one. You all know I've told this story a hundred times, one of my favorite stories, an Aesop fable, in which these two, a father and a son, were leading a donkey into the town. And they lead him in, and they came across a group of people who said, look at those two idiots. they got a perfectly healthy donkey, and nobody's riding on the donkey. So the father put his son up on the donkey. They ride a little further. Another group of people say, isn't that horrible, that healthy man? And he's putting his poor little boy, uh, you know, they're saying that perfectly healthy young boy, and he should be walking. His father should be on the donkey instead. So they switched places. The father got on the donkey, and the son led it. Came across another group and said, oh, look at that. Isn't that terrible? That man riding the donkey and making his poor son walk. And so both of them got on the donkey, came upon an animal rights group, and then they said, look at that, that's terrible, that poor donkey overburdened in that way when these two healthy men are, are walking. So finally, according to Aesop's fable, they lashed the front hooves and the back hooves of the donkey together, put a pole through it, and the two men carried the donkey into the town. And the point of that story is how dumb we look when we try to live according to the expectations of other people. We make ourselves vulnerable to criticism and to comparison, and we do foolish things. And life is so much simpler when we live for an audience of one. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had more than one boss at work, okay? Anybody willing to raise their hand and say that's ever happened to you? You know that's an unpleasant thing, isn't it? It's, it's much simpler to have one boss at, at work. Uh, when you have multiple bosses at, at work, it's going to make for trouble, and you're going to be, you know, those bosses are going to be vying over you, and who's, who are you going to please, and that kind of thing. And, and the same thing is true with us and God. We simplify our lives tremendously when we live for an audience of one, not listening to multiple voices outside, externally, or the internal voices within but living for an audience of one. Jesus said, I seek not to please myself or anyone else, but him who sent me. And then number three is organization. Know what you're trying to accomplish. Let's go back to John 8, verse 14, the last phrase there. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. Um, Every one of us have a choice Are we going to live according to the pressures of the people and their expectations around us or according to the priorities that God has given to us? Now, let me get a little bit, you know, I'm just going to talk to the mirror now, and if you want to listen in, that's great. Uh, We do this thing where we blame our stress on other people. And we say, you know, the reason I'm so stressed out and have too much to do is because all these people with their expectations. 
And you know what? We've got to be honest. Now, sometimes it is outside of our control at work and other places. I, I get that. Sometimes it's out of our control. But much of the time, I would even dare say most of the time, it's our choice. We choose to do those things. Uh, not I have to, but I choose to. And once we own up to that is the first step towards having freedom uh, from the stress within our lives. Just like Christmas chaos, he stuffs our mailbox with all those opportunities. But we don't have to say yes to all those opportunities. We can, we can seek God to say, I'm going to say yes to this and no to that. And when we live according to others' expectations or to our inner expectations and not according to God's expectations, that's when we begin to break down. That's when we have this stressful, crazy Southern California lifestyle life where we're, we begin to break down. There was a 10-ton bridge in a town, um, and it had served that town for over 50 years. Half a century, millions of tons had gone over that bridge as long as they obeyed the 10-ton limit. As long as they obeyed the 10-ton limit, Millions of tons went over that for 50 years. And finally one day a logging truck came by and ignored the 10-ton limit and the bridge collapsed. And that's exactly what happens to us. If we, if we listen to God and to his expectations and he will never ask us to do something beyond the 10-ton limit or whatever our limit might be, we can serve him faithfully for years and never a breakdown morally or breakdown emotionally or, or, or fall underneath our load. He says his burden is light, his burden is easy. He says if we follow his expectations, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what our limitations are. So when we listen to his voice, we can manage life, we can handle it. It's when we listen to other voices and to our internal voices, that's when we break down. Robert Murray McShane, uh, in the early 1800s, was literally used as a young man in his early 20s and mid-20s to change the direction of the nation of Scotland. He was one of the greatest preachers that ever was in Scotland, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. And, and a huge revival happened in Scotland behind, behind him. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, Scotland was going this direction, and this revival happened, and they turned 180 degrees, went the other direction. It was just an incredible thing. But he was so taken by how God was using him that he just fried himself. He just, 24-7, every day, never taking a Sabbath, never taking a break, never taking a rest. And his health broke, and as a result of that, he died at the age of 29. And as he lay on his deathbed, he said these words, God gave me a message to carry, and I've gone and killed the horse that carried it. He said, God gave me a message and I've gone and killed the horse that carried it, meaning his physical body. He said, I ignored my limitations. God didn't ask him to do that. I'm sure other people ask him, can you speak here? Can you speak there? Can you do this? Can you do that? Within him, he thought, I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to do that. And as a result, rather than pacing his ministry over a lifetime, he, and, and this is not me judging him, this is him saying it about himself, I had a message to share and I've gone and killed the horse that carried it. And so he went beyond his 10-ton limit. And we need to be careful not to do the same thing. Uh, look at your coming week. And as you set your priorities for the coming week, I want to ask you to ask yourself the question, am I willing to exchange a week of my life for these things? Am I going to give in to Christmas chaos and, and, and live according to Christmas chaos um, 
and, and I'm so afraid that if I don't say yes to think of the things you've got ahead of you this week, and you're afraid uh, that if you don't do those things, people are going to think you're a jerk, and they're going to hate you, okay? And that's what in the voices in our head, oh man, if I don't show up to that, they're going to be mad at me, and they're going to be disappointed. I'm going to disappoint somebody. Um, I'm going to, uh, they're going to think I'm a jerk. They're not going to like me anymore. But you know what? You will have fulfilled what God has assigned for you this coming week. And not to be presumptuous, but I think one of the things God has assigned to you this week is to take this card and pray over it, and to pray about your oikos, and to say, which one of these things matches my oikos? Maybe journey to Bethlehem with interaction with the kids and a family event. Maybe that's what connects with your oikos. Maybe Christmas music, like come celebrate Christmas. That's what connects with your oikos. Maybe it's something else. That doesn't work in their time schedule so regular. But what are, what are ways that you can connect and go to heaven and take your oikos uh, along with you? Organization. Know what you're trying uh, to accomplish. And then delegation. Don't do it all yourself. Uh, Mark chapter 3, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, even Jesus didn't feel that he had to save the world all on his own. He delegated. He shared with others. This is a principle uh, for work, for home, uh, for the church. Uh, we get so uptight and stressed because we think we've got to do it all on our own. And even Jesus knew that his human body, he was fully God but fully human, but the fully human side of him had a 10-ton ton limit. And so he had two things he had to do in his three years of ministry, by, by the time he, he died. Number one, he had to go to the cross. And number two, he had to train 12 disciples that would carry on the ministry after he left. And he just zoned in. Everything else was to support those two things. Go into the cross, set your face like flint, uh, set your face towards Jerusalem, make your appointment with the cross, and raise up 12 people to build into, to delegate the ministry to once he went back to heaven. Now, when we delegate, good things happen. Uh, we always think, man, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus, you know, were, were uh, you know, he is alive today, but if he were physically here with us like he was during those 33 years, and well, now with media, we could all talk to Jesus, but Jesus would be limited in where he was, just to the limitation of the people around him. But because he shared it with 12, who shared it with others, who shared it with others, now there's like one or two billion of us scattered all around the world in every ethnic group, in every nook and cranny around the world, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So even for Jesus, when we delegate, good things happen. You've heard me say this a dozen times, uh, that the typical church is often, uh, not our church I don't believe, but a church, a typical church, is often like a football game. What's a football game? 22 men on the field badly in need of arrest and 22,000 people in the stands badly in need of exercise. And so what we want to do is we want to share it around. Um, that, yeah, that's what, you know, Pastor Tamika and Pastor Greg and Pastor Lisa, they're challenging us to everybody find their serve, uh, gift of service. We're designed to serve. Uh, we're, we're better together. And so we share. And when we delegate Good things happen. Now, why don't we do it if it's so good? Well, two reasons, and they're the opposite from each other. One is perfectionism. 
that person won't do the job as well as I would do the job, okay? Um, do, do you mothers ever fall into that? You know, you end up doing all the work around the house because nobody will do it as well as you. That's a secret that all husbands have. Just do a lousy job. They'll never ask you to do it again, you know, so I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The women did not think that was funny. I will not say that with Kimberly sitting on the front row at 1111, okay? But, but you know, but the, sometimes you think, you know, and I'll say to Kimberly, you know, why don't you share more of this around? Well, the kids and and you, my incompetent husband, won't do it as well as I will, you know. Kids are better than you. You and the six-year-old just can't handle it, you know. Well, here's what I, a rule that I have, and it's very subjective, very subjective. If somebody can do something 80% as well as you can, 80% rule. I'm always saying this to our pastors on our staff. If, they, if, they, if somebody can do it 80% as well as you and they want to do it and it would be a joy for them to do it and it would make them feel more involved that they were doing, then share it. Share the load. Now, the opposite reason, 180 degrees different, is insecurity. There's perfectionism. There's insecurity. Not the fear that they might not do it as well as us, but the fear that they might do it better than us. Okay, that's the more scary one. What if I delegate and they do it better? But nothing but good happens. That is a huge blessing when that happens. I mean, I've spent my 23 years here as lead pastor at our church finding leaders that are better than me. And then delegating to them and empowering them and then taking the credit when they do great things, you know. That's what I'm all about, you know. You know, Pastor Tomiko here on the second row. Man, I've got a great justice ministry here. Yeah, you know. What are you doing again, Tomiko? You know, what is that again? Keep me informed what you're doing so I can take the credit for it. But really, good things happen when we're secure enough to surround ourselves with leaders that are better than us and then releasing to them, okay, uh, and, and then, t- you know, take joy in it. Not credit, but take joy in it at what God is up to. And then, how does this all happen? You say, okay, Glenn, this all sounds good, but how do we make it happen? How do we know what is God's expectations and, and not other people's expectations or our own expectations? How, how do we figure out the difference? Here's the one. Meditation. Make prayer a priority. You got it. The only way this is going to happen if you get along with God on a regular basis and listen for his voice. Only way it's going to happen. In the chaos of life, another story, but I'm just repeating a bunch of stories today, but another one of my favorite stories is a young man goes in the 1800s in the Old West for a telegraph job. And it's crazy, and there's telegraphs going off, and there's other young men there applying for the job as well. It's just crazy in the office, and there's a ticking of the telegraph in the, in the background. And there's a sign that says, wait until you're called into the boss's office to interview. Just wait out here until you, he calls you. And this young man sits in there, and he just sits there for a moment, gets up, walks into the boss's office. The other young men that are applying for the job said, oh, he's in trouble. He didn't look at the sign. It said, wait until you're called in. Five minutes later, the boss comes out and says, sorry, guys, I've hired the position with this young man. Like, what's up with that? While they were sitting there, ticking in the background was a telegraph ticker saying, if you can understand this, come on in. The job is yours. But he was the only one that kind of settled himself enough to hear. I mean, God's voice in this chaos of the whole year. Just Southern California is like a permanent Christmas season, I'm telling you. But, but the, the thing about it, the only way you hear that ticker is if you quiet yourself enough on a regular daily basis to hear it. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed, okay, where he got alone. 
And, and there's three, two things I take with me to my quiet time every day is my Bible and my day timer. Now I'm a, day, a dinosaur, so those of you that are younger, this is called a day timer. You have it on your phone, okay? I know you have it on your phone, and Kimberly makes fun of me all the time. You know, I, I, she said to me yesterday, just yesterday, she goes, uh, can you tell me when that appointment happened last month? And I said, well, my daytimer thing is at the office. I'll have to go and get it there. She goes, it's on my phone from three years ago. So she's always throwing that in my face. But at any rate, uh, I know I'm a dinosaur. But take with you something, your schedule, and take your Bible. And get alone with God. And it's amazing how the ticker will begin to tick. And you'll look at your schedule. And that thing you thought you had to do, you have to do that. All of a sudden you'll say, you know, that's not so important. I think I won't do that. And then what will rise to the top is the thing that you are supposed to do. And you'll say, you know what? I'm going to make that a priority now rather than this. Um, I've told this story before about a bunch of guys that broke into a Kmart one night. And rather than stealing the stuff, they spent the night rearranging the price tags on everything. And the store was open for half a day the next day before they discovered what had happened. Now, can you imagine if you had a corrected price list that next day? You could go in and you could like make out like a bandit. You could, you could avoid this thing because it's got a high price tag, but it's really not worth that. And you could spend your money on this, which has a low price tag, but it's really very valuable. And that's what God's Word is. That's what getting alone with Him does. It says, hey, hey the world says, everybody's expectations say, this thing's really important. Do it, but it's not. It's not going to last for eternity. Leave it alone. But this thing over here that the world says, ah, it's not worth that very much. Oh, no, no, no. Invest your life there because that thing is like gold that's going to last for eternity. And so the thing that makes that happen is meditation. Make prayer a priority. Recreation. Take time off to enjoy life. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. If I were there, I would have said, Jesus, we got a thousand days. We don't have time for this. What? You know, the, the sundial says we're late for the next uh, preaching appointment over here. You got people to heal. Uh, Jesus, go, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. It's a Sabbath principle. 3,500 years ago, Moses wrote down in the Ten Commandments the Sabbath principle, one day out of seven. And you guys are believers in that because here you are in the middle of Christmas chaos. There's so much you should be doing right now, by the way. How many have everything, how many have anything left for Christmas yet to do? Okay. Everybody, what are you doing sitting here? You believe in the Sabbath principle that you work at peak efficiency when you give one day out of seven to pursue God, to worship Him, study His Word, and then to rest. Okay. And research has now discovered that we work best at peak efficiency when we work six days, take a day off. Work six days, and it can be different because some of you are in medical professions and law enforcement and things like that where it can't be Sunday. You know, um, um, I tend to work on Sundays sometimes, and so, you know, I understand what that's about. And so, but, but that's where you work at peak efficiency. Six days, one day off. Six days, one, one day off. Researchers are showing that to be what Moses told us 3,500 years ago to be true. And then transformation. Give your stress to Christ. And here's where it gets Supernatural. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. How many here, you don't have to raise your hand, are weary and burdened? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. And if it is not manageable, it's not because Jesus told us to do those things. It's because other people are pressuring us to do them or internally we're feeling this need to do it when God hasn't asked us to do that. Now we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Everyone here is invited to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus. You say, Glenn, if I, if I, I don't know if I've taken that step or if I'd like to take it today, how would I do it? If you look in front of you in the book rack, you're going to see something that says resource. And underneath it says how to become a follower of Jesus. And there are three steps that are talked about and then a little suggested prayer. And if you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today, what better way to begin to celebrate Christmas this year than to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or you'd like to do it today, you are very welcome to remember and honor Jesus by sharing uh, the Lord's Supper uh, together. But there's another exercise I want you to do as you sit there during communion. And it's what I call the rocking chair test. Imagine that you're 95 years old and, and you're in your rocking chair, either at your home or wherever you're going to spend your, your final years or whatever, and you're thinking back over your life and you're thinking, wow, looking back over my life at the age of 95, sitting here on my front porch in my rocking chair, what do I wish I'd done more of and what do I wish I'd done less of? And then make a course adjustment right now. That's the good news. I mean, you can make a halftime adjustment or a fourth quarter adjustment or a two-minute drill adjustment, okay? Uh, man, have you ever seen an, a football game where a team will be losing the entire game and they'll make adjustments for the last two-minute drive and win the game? They're playing terrible. And they make some adjustments the last two minutes and they win the game. And that could be you. You could just have a few years left, but at any stage where you are in life, you can make those adjustments to live according to God's expectations rather than others in your own internal ones. You can make it at the two-minute drill from the end of the game and end up um, in heaven for eternity feeling like, wow, I'm so glad that I lived according to an audience of one rather than the voices of many. Uh, let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.